if you just have anything you want to say, um, we always love hearing from you. And we are, it's our Encounter with God section now. We're going to get into a Bible study, which we do every day. It's always really nice to do it with other people. And yeah, all around the world, others are doing the same thing. We're in Isaiah. If you've been following along, uh, we're currently in Isaiah chapter 8. And we're going to continue on from there. Uh, we're going to continue on from where we were yesterday. Uh, we have been talking about King Ahaz. He's a really interesting character. And we are going to get into it. I we think. were just talking before um, about how King Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. And we're like, yes. You and Minnie was like, wasn't that a good king? I'm like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good king. Yeah. It's like, and how, how few there was, how many like, good kings compared to bad kings there was yeah. in Israel. Like, I mean, you know, I'm sure it's hard being a king, but it's just interesting looking at the patterns there. Mm. Like, good king, bad king, bad, bad, bad. And it's interesting because we look at um, Israel and Judah because, you know, they kind of had that separation, Mm. right? Um, Only Judah had a couple of good kings. Israel didn't have any. Mm. Israel consistently has did evil, did evil, did evil, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Like, Mm. they just had no good kings in power. Whereas Judah, it's like you have... Evil, 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 good, evil, evil, evil. <laughs> and, and yeah, Renee and I were just discussing um, off air that it's really fascinating how you have these kings who do seek to make sure. Now, there's still big problems. There's still things that, you know, are going on. But the fact that they look to their fathers who may have been an evil king mm-hmm. and from that do good or the few good kings, then their sons just go back to whatever. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of an interesting Look at humanity and the human heart. Yes. And these were the people that God claimed, like that God said, these are my people. Yes. And so it's just, it's, I guess there's hope in that. There's also, uh, it's a bit of a wake up call. It's a, mm. it's a bit of a challenge. You, you realize, you know, just, just because you might say you're a Christian doesn't mean life is going to be easy. There is a lot of, um, yeah, we're not, uh, what do you call it? Anyway. Immune. Immune, that's the word. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know if that's what you're going for, but yeah. that's how I use it. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a really good point that you make, Renee. Uh, but so let's get into our Bible study. We are reading Isaiah chapter 8, verse 16 down to 22. Before I start to read, I'll just, as we often do, I'll just say a word of prayer as we open God's word. Um, Papa Lord God, I just want to thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, God, thank you that you're a God who never sleeps while those of us who you love still need saving. Um, you are so aware of our needs. And um, as we read as we read your word today, God, we know that you are still speaking. Speak to our hearts and minds. And yeah, send us your spirit that we may understand and not just believe, but go and let it impact our lives today. Um, thank you for your goodness in hearing our prayers. Amen. Amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 16. Did you want to read that, Renee? Can do. Cool. 16. Preserve the teaching of God. Entrust his instructions to those who follow me. I will wait for the Lord who has turned away from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my hope in him. I and the children of the uh, I the children the Lord has given me serve as signs and warnings to Israel from the Lord of heaven's armies who dwells in his temple on Mount Zion. Someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead with their whisperings and mutterings. They will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. Mm. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. 
They will look up to heaven and down to at the earth, but but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. Mm, This is an interesting passage. So we can summarize a bit if we like, but what, as you read this, what is this talking about? Like we've been talking about King Ahaz. Is there anything particular that stands out to you of, yeah, just in general or what this has to do with previous discussions Mm. that we've had? This seems to be a a warning from Isaiah to King to King Ahaz. Um, he, I really liked what he said uh, in verse sixteen, starting off there. Preserve the teaching of God and entrust His instructions to those who follow me. Um, and then waiting on the God, putting our hope in God. Yes. And then it goes down to talk about which I believe our topic is today, talking about the seeking guidance from the dead why should the living seek guidance from the dead yeah um so that's a really interesting interesting topic and then it goes into talking about those who seek advice from the dead um they are like people who are hungry and weary and who are completely in the dark which means they don't even know where they're i guess if you think of someone who's in the dark they don't know where they're going they don't know where they are they can't see what's right in front of them Mm -hmm. um and so it says that they, because they are hungry, they'll rage and curse their king and their God. Uh, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. That's quite ominous right there. Oh, yeah. Hey. And it seems to me that if this is kind of the example given, right, that, yeah, they were these people who are doing this, it, it must be a common enough occurrence that if he's using this to illustrate the point, mm. people would know what he's referring to. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Because there are some things that if you say there's no context around them, people are like, mm, yeah, whatever. But if it's a situation that is happening around you, you're like, oh, okay, yep, I, I see what you're saying. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so as I read it, I was like, mm, maybe this is something that King Ahaz is very much willing to um, to seek counsel from the dead, you know, to get into this spiritual field or whoever, that this is a time – when this is something that people are open to doing. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, and this, yeah, yeah, like you said, that that last part is quite ominous. Like they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. I was, oh, actually, you just said something before this. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, with the kings. And you said, you know, obviously sometimes as Christians it's not always easy. Mm-hmm. I heard this thing mm, a couple of days ago and someone said, um, Always look into the light, even if you have to squint. Ooh. And I just really liked it. You know, yeah. that it's like we have this God who is light, mm. like there's hope and there's peace. But it's like if you go out in the sun on a sunny day, it's amazing. But sometimes you have to squint a bit, yeah. you know. And I just like that it's like, yeah, but but don't let your focus just go to the darkness just to for that comfort, you mm. know. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like because – we need the light. We need the light. That's a great illustration to, to yeah, just keep squint. Like, you know, yeah. you'll get used to the, the light God, you know, that God shines on. Yeah. The light often in the Bible is the truth or, yes. or you know, God is the light. So absolutely. symbolism there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I concur with you, you know, just that beautiful verse 16, bind up the testimony, seal the law. I will wait on the Lord. I will hope in him. Um, and this is kind of in the space of being among the people where there's this darkness going on, you know, 
that can be a lonely place to stand when mm. you're like, there's only a few of us. Mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's very discouraging. Mm, so mm. I like how God is constantly encouraging in this passage, though the warnings can be a bit ominous. We're going to continue our study, though. So. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. All right, we're going to continue on. So Ahaz was deeply involved in pagan religion. We're going to jump over to 2 Kings. You can keep your hand in Ezekiel just in case we come back there. So we're going to go to 2 Kings. Um, I love 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Samuel and Chronicles. But I just... It's a lot of action and stuff. Politics and betrayal. (laughs) (laughs) But you really see this kind of big picture spectrum of the leaders of Israel or Judah and the impact that their faith or lack of faith has on the people. Yes. Right? Like like it's this big picture. You see kind of the a few focused characters where you see like even David. Whew. That guy had an incredibly (laughs) dysfunctional family. Yes. Um, and we see that we also see that, you know, God says he's a man after my heart, but you see the humanity that is connected to his faith, and it's a mess, mm, really. Mm. Um, but anyway, that was a side note. Second Kings chapter 16, verse 3. Yeah, uh, let's go to, you know what, let's go to down to 4. 3 and 4? Two, three, four. Two, three, four. Okay. So Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. He did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord, his God and his ancestor that his ancestor David had done. Instead, he followed the example of the kings of Israel, even sacrificing his own son in the fire. In this way, he followed the detestable practices of the pagan nations that God had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the pagan shrines and on the hills under every green tree. Yes, yeah, so this is a really explicit, like it literally says he follows the pagan ways. What are some of these ways? Well, one, sacrifice, his son, he yeah. sacrifices his sons. Yeah. Like, whoo, that's a big thing for you to your flesh and blood. You're like, no, no, we're going to appease the gods by killing our children. But for you to believe that yeah, sacrificing yeah, 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 yeah. That's right, son, that's right. That's, I like God says that's detestable. Yes. These detestable practices that God had explicitly said, do not. That's why I don't make any um, alliances with these people. Yes. Don't turn to these to these other nations. Mm. Absolutely. And there is an impact there, right? I remember someone oh, that someone illustrated to me once. How did they do it? Oh, that's right. So it was one person standing on the floor and one person standing on a chair. Now, I take this with a grain of salt, by the way, but they were saying just imagine the person who is standing on the floor is like um, your person without hope or belief or, um, yeah, oh, how would they explain it? Basically, they were saying a non-Christian, but also let's bear in mind that sometimes people bearing the name non-Christian or non-Christian uh, can, you know, sometimes the best yeah. characteristics you have are people who actually say they don't believe. Mm. But... For hypothesis, what am I saying? Hypothetical situation's sake, the person on the floor is non-Christian, the person sitting on the chair is the Christian, right? They're going, yep, we're reaching up to God, yep, we're living this moral life, whatever. This is a generalisation. They said, how much easier is it for the person on the floor to drag the person on the chair down than for you to drag the person on the floor up? I see. Yeah, and so the example was it wasn't about, hey, let's hide ourselves from the world and never interact. It was just, hey, seriously, be aware of the connections that you're creating because your closest circle where where you're standing with each other 
like they'll impact you. Wow. And so when we see God going, hey, no, like don't make these close connections with people in these places. He sees it. There are practices going that are just going to like tear them apart, Mm. like humanity just in general. And he's like, no, 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 you you guys be the light. You go share. Like you need to be an influence, but you can't be engaging with them in this like intimate relationship level. Yeah, yeah. Um, can't let that pull you down and that's that's often yeah why you see many of the kings fall the the fall yeah and, and it's quite tragic because like yeah. you said it does impact their whole the whole nation absolutely absolutely uh yeah so we we can see that he king ahaz was quite involved in this um yeah these practices it says he also sacrifices and burns incense so if we take a second we know in the sanctuary service that the israelites had when God brings them out of Exodus and, you know, they get this plan, incense was also to do with prayer, right? So there's a whole bunch of things in the sanctuary, if you guys haven't looked into it, that um, I think it was continual incense to be burning and it was kind of a representation of prayers ascending to heaven. So, again, this is this picture of, yeah, he's praying, but he's praying to these different gods who are requiring things like the sacrifice of his children, you know? So it's it's pretty significant. Mm. Um it's heavily connected to the occult. So in Deuteronomy thirty-two seventeen, it says they sacrificed to demons, not to God, to gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. Uh, yesterday we spoke quite a bit on fearing God. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's pretty intense time that I don't know that generally speaking in the Western world we understand what it was like to have these practices consistently happening around us. Mm-hmm. There may be places in the world where, you know, this is still people are more aware, but I think yes. we were removed from this happening. Yeah. I know back in the islands where I'm from, but also islands around um, Samoa and Tonga, uh, but also the islands themselves, you know, practice, practice um, just – worship like kind of you know uh what do you call it just this spiritualism that um that it does not do well it's not good stuff Mm. so do not recommend um but yeah it's more common back i know when i go back home it's like oh it's a it's a normal you know they it's a normal conversation oh this person was possessed Mm. oh yeah 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 it's more common to hear that whereas not not so much here no, that's so true. That's so true. I've yeah had a few of those conversations with people and some of the stories that I remember when I was over Fiji years ago, someone was just telling me their story and they were like, oh, it's not superstitious. And I was like, oh, 15 or something. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, it's a it shock. is. Because like, like, yes. I hadn't been exposed to yes, that. I yeah. mean, I had friends who had told me stories, but it was yeah. it was different being in a place yeah, where just some of the conversations mm. it was there was a lot more awareness hey yes that's what that is, yeah i i, I was going to say in a sense there's a bit more spiritual awareness like yeah. in terms of yeah the spiritual forces absolutely uh and really the everyday life was very connected to the spirituality and religion at the time mm-hmm. you know it wasn't like today where someone can say oh i'm spiritual but what they mean is i have no religion well that that's what they can mean mm. um or where people just say, I have neither spirituality nor religion. Mm. You know, this was a time period when there was some sort of spirituality at play, mm-hmm. whatever that spirituality was. I would say, though, it was more up, It was more in your face back then. These days, it's more like covered with, like, it's more like hidden, like behind. Oh, fully. Like it, how do you call it? Like, you know, camouflaged or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So let's go back to Isaiah. 
-hmm. chapter 8. Uh, I'm just going to read verse 19 and 21. Uh, yeah, look, 21, 22, that's what I'll do. <laughs> so it says, They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry. It shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. Imagine the kind of despair mm. that a person would have to have to turn to such measures. I mean, it's no surprise for Ahaz. I mean, he did turn to the enemy of his enemies to, mm. to call for help. Seeing him turn to another side, um, it does it does fit Ahaz well, his character. Mm. And it's interesting because, oh, what was it? There was a song years ago I heard and I can't even remember... How did it go? There was two things. There's two things in, and they might have been different songs. One was dying of thirst yet willing to die thirsty. Mm. And one was um, they say, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. But when I do that, I die like Romans too. Huh. And I was just like thinking about this in this context, right? It's saying, you know, they will, uh, they'll pass through it um, hard pressed and hungry. And it shall happen when they're hungry, they'll be enraged and curse God. It just reminds me of that first lyric I mentioned of, you know, I'm dying of thirst, but I'm willing to die thirsty. It's. Mm. God consistently has said to them, he's like, I actually long to provide for you. Like, I want to satisfy your needs. I want to do this. So you're hungry. You're so hungry, but you're willing to stay this way mm. because you keep seeking all these other things. And now you're mad at me. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm not saying that that is exactly the way God expressed it, but this is kind of the idea, right? Mm. It's just like, oh, I'm not satisfied. And God, like, curse you. You've done this to me. Well, not exactly correct, is it? <laughs> like, um, you know, in Second is it Second Chronicles? Yeah, in Second Chronicles twenty-eight, chapter two, it says, "Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord." This is that King Ahaz. <sighs> could you imagine? Could you imagine being known by that? Oh yeah, King Ahaz, the one who was unfaithful to God. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I know that guy. It's very sad and tragic. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Um, where were we? We were talking about um, how Ahaz had turned... Uh, oh, actually, you were reading Isaiah, where chapter 21 to 22. Oh, yeah. And it says that they will, they will go from one place to another. We're in hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God, which is interesting because this is a warning that God, God is giving to Ahaz. And the people do, in fact, it does say that this would warn Ahaz that because he led his people into the, into the occult, they would curse him. In fact, yes. Ahaz died. An exception was made regarding his burial due to the lack of respect for him. Mm. They did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 28, verse 27. Which I imagine would have been a very significant, um, very significant disrespect. They didn't. Re they they yeah. lacked that much respect because he led them to a place where they they suffered. Mm. Oh, you know. Absolutely. They yeah. experienced a lot of turmoil because they did not turn to God. Yeah. And this is, I think I said the other day, did I say the other day? Anyway, when we see the kings of Israel and Judah, for me, it's such a clear um, demonstration that we have, biblically speaking, that righteousness does not have just individual consequences and neither does sin. Like, or whichever way you go, doesn't matter which way, it always impacts other people. Mm. Um, and that can be a really hard thing. And 
by the way, I don't think that there's no hope for you. Mm. Like if you have been the person who has caused other people to sin, um, we know that God is incredibly gracious and willing to forgive. Um, so to come to him, but this is the point, right? This mm-hmm. is the point of the story that we're talking about is these people refuse to come to God when things got messy. Mm. Um you know, and if and if you're someone who has, feels like you've got to the point where um, you, someone else has taken you far from God, again, come to Him, mm-hmm. um, sit in His presence, and let Him restore you. Mm, absolutely, um, it was interesting because in the days of the Hebrews, there was a class of people who claimed to do as a spiritualist of today uh, to hold communication with the dead, right? But the familiar mm. spirits as, um, were were declared by the Bible to be spirits of devils. Um, And so the work of dealing with familiar spirits um, was pronounced as an abomination to the Lord and was solemnly forbidden under penalty of death. Um, And it goes through talking about like the, just the consequences of turning to this way. I like how the Bible clearly says that this is, this is not the way this ain't it. Um, this is working with, with the devil and in the very name of witchcraft, which is now held in contempt, the, um, the claim that men hold um, communion with evil spirits is rega- regarded as a fable of the dark ages. Um, but spiritualism, which numbers its converts by hundreds of thousands, even by millions, made its way into scientific circles, which has invaded churches and has found favor in legislative bodies and even in the courts of kings. This mammoth deception is but a revival in a new disguise of witchcraft condemned and prohibited by old. And that is a quote in the book of the Great Controversy by the author Ellen G. White. That is a powerful statement. So if you guys, just to summarize People often look at this idea of witchcraft and, yeah, you know, communing with these evil spirits or whatever as, oh, that was just dark ages. And we know, you know, we know they had like hectic, yeah, I guess what you'd call like witch hunts or, you know, the dark ages had a lot going wrong in their religion. It's really dark. Yeah. Really dark. Yeah. It's called that for a reason. Mm. Um, however, it's made its way back. It just kind of has a bit of a new face on it. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's very much. Um, Maybe not in this exact capacity that King A has was in, but it's very much something that's even within our churches. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a whole lot. That's a whole other rabbit hole we could go down. Mm-hmm. But it's it. I actually think it is very crucial discussion to have mm-hmm. because it actually relates so much to the character of God and to the Bible with the Bible narrative of who God is. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just something for you guys to yeah. And, and for us to just, just search the scripture and really ask God to give us discernment and wisdom and, you know, connect with people, have these discussions, have these Bible studies mm-hmm. um, so that the the beliefs we're holding aren't just from our own heads. Mm-hmm. Um and it's important to be to to be to to be loyal to to God. Yeah. Essentially, First um, Chronicles chapter ten verse thirteen and fourteen applies this principle to the case of King Saul, and it says, "So Saul died for his unfaithfulness. He was unfaithful to the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord. Moreover, he had consulted a medium, uh, seeking guidance, guide, guidance, and did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse." Mm. And that's the thing. Like, let's remember that um, <laughs> there are spiritual powers at work. Yes. Yeah. And often the thing that is the most deceiving is the one that's sprinkled with a little bit of truth, mm-hmm. you know? So if you come across something and you're like, yeah, but there seems to be truth to this, there could be some. 
But man, we gotta we gotta pray. Hey, we gotta keep close to Jesus. And don't get me wrong, we can be distracted. I get distracted. Um, here's a question for you guys, just to take away: Are there subtle ways, or in what subtle ways are you exposed to the principles behind the occult and various manifestations of spiritualism? Even if you can't totally get rid of them, what can you do to minimize their influence on you or your family? Um, for me, I'd argue, man, we've got to know Jesus, mm. like really on a personal level. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Oh, oh wait, oh. wait, we got to get on too. Oh, we do. We it do. is now we time do. for... <laughs> <laughs> Question of the day. Okay, okay. We were having a little bit of fun and got carried away. However, this question comes in from an, a listener who asked today. It's about the, um, it's regards the conversation we had Luke earlier about forgiving Satan if he repented. The question is, does forgiveness come before or after repentance? Jesus said, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. And it doesn't appear that those killing Jesus repented. In this instance, forgiveness came without repentance. Question mm. mark. So... We were discussing this before. This is actually a great question. Mm. We're going to answer it in a couple of stages. So I just want to read this Bible verse really quickly. So it is 1 John chapter 5, verse... I'm going to read 14 to 16, but 16 is the one we're kind of focusing on. So now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he, being God, will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. Mm. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. Mm. Okay, and we're going to... So you're going to explain a bit about this, hey? Yes. Well, it's really important to understand the context of that verse, right? So the two preceding verses that you read, you read in 1 John uh, chapter 5, um, before verse 16, the two verses previous, John talks about the assurance that the believer's prayers will be heard and answered. And then in verse 16, he applies a promise of the specific case of a prayer in another's behalf. In doing so, he discusses the two classes of sin. So there is one where there is hope for the sinner Mm. and there is another class of sin where there is no hope for the sinner. So in the first case, prayer could lead to the sinner's recovery and redemption. There is hope. But in the second situation, there is no guarantee that the prayer will bring salvation. And so it's quite apparent that this sin, this situation is the sin unto death, which is referring to the unpardonable sin. And those who are, and, and that is, um, referring to those who are recognized as rejectors of the spirit and hardened by continual transgression, who would not be open to further conviction of their sins. And so in such situation, uh, a positive insurance of verse 14 and 15 can't be applied to that situation. Mm. So for all cases, accepting, except the unpardonable sin, God gives life to those who are being prayed for contingent, of course, upon that person's repentance and acceptance of Christ. So it really um, depends on if that person decides to repent for themselves and then, you know, forgiveness is is also available in that in that case. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, with this question, does forgiveness, what does forgiveness become before or after repentance? Mm -hmm. Um, And also, you know, I guess with that Jesus, when he prays, hey, forgive them for no they don't know what they do, he can step in and intercede in this way because it's in their ignorance mm-hmm. that he's praying for, right? He's mm-hmm. like, man, God, they don't know. 
Um, but it does require them. It, there is some sense of they need to also yes. recognize and repent for themselves because absolutely re- forgiveness is offered. Yes, before repentance. Mm. And then it comes after because you actually choose to receive it. Yeah. Because we know, like, and something we were discussing just off air, is the Bible tells us that repentance itself is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of this interesting thing. It's like repentance is both a gift and a command. Hey, repent and be saved. But the forgiveness was offered before we even wanted to repent. Yes. And then it's completely whole and given. Yes. Um. You know, after like it's a, yeah. it's a progression though, right? Yeah. Like yeah. it's not, yeah. You know, there's so many things in our life that we're we're facing, and so forgiveness is a huge topic in itself. I think we need to remember that our uh, our subjective experience is not the objective reality mm. at times. Mm. You know, so the fact that God has offered this this path of forgiveness, yeah, um, yeah, we can intercede, yeah. But it's only completed when we uh, yes. accept it. Absolutely. So, thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.